We're starting a new Kim Durango book today. This is one of my personal favorites. This is Billy Ray Smith. He was one of the finest school teachers in the territory of Arizona. Do you ever think about me, Billy Ray, as a woman? Of course I do. That is, uh, until El Diablo kidnapped the teacher's pet. I intend to bring back Nettie. You and who else, school teacher? I mean, Kid Durango, that's who. <laughs> now Billy Ray is about to find out the hard way that he will need a lot more than a fast gun. You need bigger bottles. And a good horse. Billy needs help. You looking at? You just shot him in the back. His back was to me. Maybe you can tell me where I can find a man named Kid Durango. What do you want him for? They say he's the fastest gun in the West. Oh, yeah? I'd like to take you up on your offer to help me get El Diablo. I'll think about it. Don't need you, did man. I think that could be arranged. Now, with rough and tough hombres like these, and name not Chief, name Dancing Bear, that old El Diablo is sure gonna have his hands full. Welcome to Small Screeners, where we look at direct-to-video and made-for-TV movies. I'm Chris. I've got AJ here with me, as always. Say hello, AJ. What's up, y'all? And today, we are here to discuss El Diablo, an HBO Western, second one of these we've covered on the show. Both Uh, picked by me. Thank you. Uh Uh-huh. This one from 1990. Kind of like with... uh, the Last Outlaw, as I was watching this, I wasn't sure if I'd ever seen it before, but a lot of stuff jumped out, and I could tell as I was watching it that I definitely watched at least parts of it, if not the entire thing, back when it's, it was on HBO yeah. in the 90s. Yeah. Like the, the yak hair-looking like uh, <laughs> oh chaps he had, the uh, the his back was to me exchange uh a lot of stuff was kind of familiar at, as the movie went along but but definitely had not seen it since since i was a little kid probably 12 or less and cool. uh, uh, some good shit for a kid in that movie yeah yeah i mean it's <laughs> it's a com- i mean it's actually a comedy western uh, or a western comedy um, i mean i had told you outside the show that for all i mean it's a western there's no question yeah. about it it's a full on western and you know it's a uh, there are real stakes people die horribly in this right. thing, um, it is pretty violent at times, uh, but it is absolutely 100% a comedy. It's a very dark comedy and sometimes a very broad and goofy comedy, but it's it's a comedy through and through. Yeah, the trailer I, voice on the uh, for the trailer we played at the top, that cheesy voiceover didn't didn't do like I wouldn't have uh, taken it that seriously watching that trailer <laughs> before I actually saw the movie just because of the voiceover. Very hokey, cheesy, but. Not and really. Then, that then when someone shows up scalped and tortured, you're like, oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it can get particularly gnarly at times. But uh, as they mention in the trailer, uh, you know, the basic story is 
Anthony Edwards plays a school teacher from Boston, right? And ends up in the Old West in a rugged Texas town. That's what Wikipedia says anyway. But anyway, he's he's got a, a, a student that's got a crush on him. He's just doing the teacher thing while loving these dime novel type exploits of a, uh, a writer and gunslinger extraordinaire, Kid Durango. And that's when El Diablo, the titular villain, shows up in town and kidnaps young Nettie, his uh, school schoolgirl uh, student, and kills a few people in town. Um, yeah, as one does. And then, of course, Anthony Edwards as uh, Billy Ray Smith, a great name for a uh, tenderfoot. Mm-hmm. He ends up chasing down El Diablo, intending to get Nettie back, and along the way runs into a curmudgeonly old-timey gunslinger of his own, Louis Gossett Jr. In this movie, Thomas Van Leek, uh, which is legitimately, I think, a great name. (laughs) And it's just, it's cool to see Louis Gossett Jr. with that kind I mean, even in this, he kind of carries himself like, you know, he's some shit, because he is. And I'm not going to say it's regal or anything, but there's just a way about Louis Gossett Jr. He's, he, you know, you just feel that that's a man with pride. Mm -hmm. He's earned it. Yeah, he's earned it. The confidence, the the quiet confidence, until it's time to fuck you up and whip your ass. You know what I mean? But yeah, so that's Thomas Van Leek, and he's kind of a, not a scoundrel really, but you know, he is a back-shooting motherfucker and proud yeah. of it. And that it, that's something about the movie that I like, is that it kind of, it likes to play with the romantic myth of the Western and stuff in terms of how a character like Billy Ray, fresh to the actual Old West from the big city. You know, he kind of romanticizes it, but the movie constantly wants to kind of remind him and us as the viewer, but that things were kind of fucked up back then. Yeah. It it was not the most awesome. You know, life was pretty cheap. You know, characters that you expect might make it to the end are like very quickly and unceremoniously wiped out of the picture. Like, oh, that fucking guy's dead. Like, is he really dead? Right. Oh, fuck, I guess he's dead. I had that reaction a couple times too. Yeah, like he's really fucking dead. That's it. That was it. And that's it. It happens that fast. And the movie, while broad and goofy and stuff, and we'll get to some of the the funnier things that the movie, you know, throws at you. I don't think all of it works, but I think enough of it works that I think it's a do you think it's a successful comedy, Chris? Yeah, I think so. Uh there's a lot of you know, like you said, there are some things that don't necessarily land but i think for the most part the the humor works there are some highlights like when he's you know it, it even though it stretches <laughs> like how credible it could be uh, like when he's shooting the bottles yeah and, and you know he can't hit them and he keeps moving closer and closer until he's like at point blank range and he still can't you know actually hit the bottles that was probably the one of the biggest laughs i had and and actually watching watching this one but yeah i think a lot of the comedy does work i don't think it fails often enough on that to where i'm cringing at anything really no no i don't none of it is a deal breaker where you watch it and go well fuck this movie now right <laughs> yeah and some of the stuff that's really funny is kind of horrible and very black mm-hmm comic like the his back was to me <laughs> well yeah which is great and the movie is just it's surprisingly bloody when it will punctuate those moments like the guy he shoots in the back suddenly his chest just poof, right so this was rated r i didn't it's technically pg-13 okay which is nuts yeah i think that owes to the lighter tone 
Like, if it didn't have the comedy and some of the pokiness, like, if it were had a more serious tone, I think that would have probably affected with the rating. I would have to imagine. I think you're right. Even so, without violence or whatever. So just to get into kind of the character actor extravagant, it's small. Yeah, let, it's, me, let me uh, run through like some of the, the details here. El Diablo is a 1990 Western comedy directed by Peter Markle and starring Anthony Edwards, Louis Gossett Jr., and Robert Beltrain. It premiered on HBO on July 22nd of 1990 uh, with a script written by John Carpenter, Tommy Lee Wallace, and Bill Phillips. And yeah, I, I, I feel like we fucked up mostly me by just starting to babble. We didn't mention the John <laughs> Carpenter thing at the get. Yeah, and I didn't I didn't list all of the actors, but there's just a bevy of awesome character actors in this movie as sort of the gang that the two leads put together around them trying to, to rescue this girl. Yeah, there's only a few of them, but every single one is an absolute champion. Yeah. If you watch a lot of shit, you're going to go, oh, I know that guy from like fucking 10 different things. Yeah. And even before they put the the gang together, one of my favorite uh, guys, I, I, you know, I haven't even seen him in that much stuff, but I always liked when he pops up as Jim Beaver. And he uh, I was hoping you were going to say Jim Beaver. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was. He was in the town, you know, where um, uh, Anthony Edward character is from and kind of helps him get started. <laughs> uh, yeah. But I always like when he shows up. It's always a pleasure to see Jim Beaver. But this version of Jim Beaver, this is 1990 Jim Beaver. So he's a lot. He looks like a young, raw, you know, version of, you know, the raw bone youth when in reality he was probably almost 40, if not already. But <laughs> considering uh, we love Jim Beaver around these parts. He's he is awesome. Do you watch or did you watch any of Supernatural, Chris? I bet you didn't. I did. I uh, oh. watched, that's that's the first I had known him from. Of course, later I would rewatch older stuff and that I'd seen before and be like, "Oh, that's the guy from Supernatural." I forgot he was in this. Bobby. Uh, but yeah, I watched the first like. I mean, I think I made it to like season seven or eight, but I stopped liking Supernatural probably after oh, like season four, no. <laughs> and uh, eventually I just gave up. I kept. I remember there were there was like a bounce back season in there. Like season four, the first four were really good. I think I was kind of disappointed with season five and six, and then maybe there was a good one, and then there was a bad one, and then I was like, I think I'm done. I think I've, I've had enough. And then it continued on for like another eight years. Yes, it did. Yes, it did. Probably twice as yeah. About you probably stopped right around halfway through. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. After so I mean, you know, you're entitled to your weeks. opinion, but the show said "fuck you," Chris. Kept on going. It just kept on going. After both of the leads had died and gone to hell and been resurrected, I think one of them twice. I think that was about where I was like, I think I think I've seen enough. That's just a thing in supernatural. <laughs> but I did love the first like. Four seasons. I, I really liked the, the early seasons. All right, uh, and and I'll still check in. Like I've got a, a couple of friends, actually the guys who went to Chattanooga with me that I did a recent episode with. They uh, they still watched it. I think all the way through the end, and they'll sometimes recommend the the kind of goofy episodes, like the one that's like where they're in a Scooby Doo cartoon. Yes. So where they, I think I actually watched the season where this one happened, where they actually go to the real world, and in this episode. Supernatural is a TV show that the actors it's it's kind of confusing getting into it. It's yeah. called it's called the French mistake. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I do, yeah, I have seen some of those like goofier episodes that they do like one a year, it seems like after Yeah, after. about ever since the one that uh, Ben Edlund wrote back in season two or three, the one where they went to the university and they met the uh, trickster for the first time. 
that turned out to be an angel. But yeah, you don't like any of that shit. So we'll just leave. <laughs> yeah, I don't like. I, I kind of got turned off around the time every season started being about the war between the angels and the demons and all that stuff. I like the monster of the week stuff. That's that was where I thought it was uh, successful. Well, it got bigger than that. It grew beyond you, Christopher. <laughs> anyway, Jim Beaver. Great <laughs> Anyway, so Jim El Diablo as well. So this was written by John Carpenter. You probably know more details about this than me. All I know is that he was going to direct it, and he decided he didn't want to do a Western. And as he said many times over the years, and I guess this is the first time he really realized it, he's like, I just fucking hate horses, man. I don't want to make a movie <laughs> with horses. You know, and yeah. yeah, it's just a bitch to make a Western. Um, but yeah, they, they wrote this like in the, what, early 80s? Late 70s, early 80s? I think he was going to do it after Escape from New York, I think. And I, you know, again, who fucking knows? That's something I read somewhere that the guy who wrote it probably read somewhere or maybe just made it the fuck up. I don't know. I just know that it's an old script. I thought, honestly, before I ever was able to really catch up with it, I only got to see it probably in the late 2000s, 2009, 2010, somewhere around there. I uh, was able to get a DVD of it because I heard that Carpenter had written the script. And I just kind of assumed that because it was a made-for-TV, you know, a made-for-HBO movie, my brain was like, oh, I bet Tommy Lee Wallace directed it. (laughs) I don't know why. And then I watch it, and no. It's some dude named Peter Markle who made a lot of TV and one of John Candy's last movies, Wagons East. Like, Mm -hmm. okay. And the Rob Lowe hockey extravaganza Youngblood from 86 that a lot of us remember watching. Sure. uh, From the 80s, yeah. It's a Cynthia Gibbs thing. I don't know. You know who Cynthia Gibb is? Probably not. Nah, I don't think I do. Yeah, you, not you're a bit too you're a bit too young for the Cynthia Gibb love. Uh, an early Patrick Swayze movie, and I think Cantor Reeves' first movie. Uh, mm. It's hockey. It's Rob Lowe. It's stupid. It's really, really stupid. But he also did Hot Dog the movie. I've heard of that. I've never seen it, but it's basically two things. It's it's skiing, like awesome, like stunt as fuck, extreme skiing uh-huh. of, of 1984. It's skiing. And then it's boobs. Nice. Usually Shannon Tweet. That was her thing for a while. Good for her. Yeah. Yeah. It, so, you know, thank you, you Peter Markle. I, yeah. I can't be mad at Peter Markle. And I like El Diablo. Speaking of El Diablo, back to that. Uh, so he directed it, not Carpenter. But what yeah. we got, what do you think about how it looks, how it feels? Like, does it work for you? Like, do you go, oh, this is cool? Or does it feel really made for TV to you? I don't think it feels, I wouldn't say really made for TV. It does, you know, it's it's all kind of shot on location, I guess, as far as like being in the desert and these, I guess those, um, the town is probably a set on some ranch somewhere, but it, it feels authentic enough. There's a, a graininess to a lot of Westerns that this movie doesn't really have. The Last Outlaw kind of had it, that this one really doesn't. So it looks cleaner, I guess, than I would normally think of a Western, but it doesn't, it's not a distracting thing. You know, it works. Yeah, I'd have to agree. I don't think there's any particular snap to the visuals. And I, I mean, that's probably unfair of me, but I mean, it's just, it's its well done. It doesn't look shitty. Yeah. Some of the visual gags are staged well. Some of the action is, you know, it's, I can't complain about it. But again, it, I don't go, oh, wow, that's inspired or, you know, right. anything like that. But I, I also never went, ooh, that's bad. <laughs> sure. It's capably directed. By yes, you. it's very capably directed, but uh, rather anonymously, I would say so. There's no real voice there. But really, the, the whole thing that makes it work anyway is the sense of humor and the characters to me. Yeah. So, which are the actors. So let's get to that. What did you think of Anthony Edwards as uh, B? 
Billy Ray Smith. I like Anthony Edwards in general. He's a little bit broad in this at times, but not, you know, not in a way that's like hurts the movie. I think, I think that was probably what was called for. Oh, um, it yeah. Doesn't, it doesn't always work for me personally, but it's the fish out of water thing. The movie itself is hitting pretty hard. And then he makes sure that it hammers any beat that the movie might miss. And that's fine. Watching it again this time, I was wondering, I was like, does, I'm sitting here and I'm watching it. And I'm thinking, is he miscast? And I'm like, no, no, he's playing the part as he should. He's the wide-eyed, bumbling bumpkin, you know, who's hopelessly out of his depth and all that shit. (laughs) Terribly naive. And like you said, I mean, the whole bottle shooting sequence, it's like someone who had his eyes closed would have hit a bottle on accident. Right. You know, and this fucking guy is two feet away and he can't hit a bottle. It's like, come on. But that's kind of, like you said, the whole tone of the movie. And I realize that it isn't that he's miscast. I think... I'm not a fan of the way he does the voiceover. And I, I know it sounds like a stupid, weird, nitpicky thing because it is. But I mean, a bad voiceover can really hurt a movie. So, I mean, I didn't find it to be grating or anything, but I mean, I, I don't think that's a, that's a nitpick necessarily. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like the, it's not the voiceover, like in terms of the dialogue itself. And it's not like he sounds smarmy or shitty or anything like that. It just, there's a tone to it that it, I, I can't explain it, which is great for a podcast when you're talking. Um, it's just, it's there was something about it that I thought he should have had. Maybe it was like you're saying. Maybe he it was broader in the way he was kind of hitting the notes, you know, like that, like because it's it's a little jokey. Mm-hmm. The stuff like they just shot someone in the face and they're like, we concluded our business with the gentleman and went on our way, you know, that kind of yeah. thing. Where he's saying something like in a faux jocular chipper tone and he's describing something that's horrible without saying it was horrible and it, it may be just the way he kind of delivers that kind you know there's he almost hits it a little too hard sure. and maybe that's what you're saying is that he's a little broad in some of the moments for you in the live action actual what you're watching him do stuff whereas that all felt like he was kind of doing it as he should or like at least as he was being asked maybe the broad i was just feeling the broadness in his vocal cord performance we'll just say that fair enough yeah I, it wasn't um it wasn't distracting to me but i didn't you know have a didn't yeah. think it was great either it was just kind of perfunctory i guess <laughs> but again i think he's good in the movie because i mean the 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 voiceover is not omnipresent you know and it's not there the whole time it doesn't drape the movie in this narration that for whatever reason irritates my asshole <laughs> But let's get to the meat of it right here. Let's let's come who let's come to praise who we've come to praise. Okay. Tell me how you felt of Lou Gossett, Golden Lou. Tell me. I thought he was uh, awesome in this. Um, I'm checking actually. Is he still alive? I yeah, he, he, think is. he is. I think he's just he was in the new Watchmen show. Oh, that's right. He was. Yeah, I, I remember that now. Yeah, he's uh, 87 years old. But yeah, he um he's good in this. I have. Honestly, I'm trying to think of stuff I know Louis Gossett Jr. from outside of just being an actor that's famous. There's Toy Soldiers, uh-huh. classic. And I'm having trouble thinking of other stuff I really know from. He's great in this. I'm I looking mean, at his filmography. To see. I mean, he was in Iron Eagle, right? Those movies? Oh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um, Chappie Sinclair. I, I think I saw those as a kid, but I don't really remember anything about them. I don't know that you would have ever seen it, but he won his Oscar for Best Supporting Actor for Officer and a Gentleman. Mm, yeah. Uh, first black guy to win the award. Yeah. yeah, I've never I've never seen that one. He's a drill sergeant. Terrible to Richard Gere in the movie. As drill sergeants tend to be. Yeah, uh, and gets to fight 
Richard Gere and whip his ass. Lou Gossett Jr. can throw hands. Let's let's yeah. Let's he was not. in Digstown too, right? Yes. Roots. I'm seeing that's probably one of his earlier ones. Yes, sir. Yeah, he did a lot of stuff in the early in the 70s. He was doing strong work. Yeah, he's great. I, he's amazing in the, in this movie. Yeah, he's he's good in the things I have seen him in. I just haven't seen a ton of his stuff. But yeah, this like you said, he very kind of a brash confidence. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Anthony Edwards' character, who, what is his name, Billy Ray Smith, he's trying to find this kid Durango, right, to to recruit him, to help him find the girl, because... He thinks he, that kid Durango is going to help him and save Nettie, yeah. Right, and and that's that's a character from these this book series he's a big fan of, but they're purported to be true-life accounts of this kid Durango character, right? Yeah. Yeah, this local gunslinger who also happens to write his own exploits because everyone did that, I guess. Sure. And he tells Thomas Van Leek, that's Lewis Gothard Jr.'s character, that he's looking for him, right? And and yeah, and he's thoroughly out. unimpressed. But we find out there, – there, well, we can throw in some some spoilers. So we're, we don't want to spoil everything but because uh, I think this is probably a movie that's not super seen. Yeah. Uh, that point. happens, but I do want to point out what you're talking about happens like immediately after they meet. And they meet when – Thomas Van Leek shoots a motherfucker that Billy Ray Smith is talking to. He's gone to this town to try to find like a lawman or something. They're burying the lawman. And this guy is talking to Billy Ray, who's like watching them lower this fucker in the ground. Right. And he's like, I'm the new sheriff. I can help you. And while they're talking, his chest explodes because Lewis Gossett <laughs> Jr. shot him in the back. And they have that great, you know, his back was to me exchange. Right after that, Billy Ray explains to him who he's looking for. He's looking for Kid Durango. And he's like, well, you know, I can fucking help you. You know, you don't need that Kid Durango fucker. But that <laughs> happens pretty much immediately. And, you know, almost just as quick, Billy Ray finds out he's out of his depth. And that's when they start writing together. And then they start putting together the crew who we'll get to in a minute. But as you were saying, it's that happens early on. And then a whole bunch of the movie happens. And then they meet. Our pal, Kid Durango, and I will let you take it up here. So yeah, Kid Durango, played by Joey Pantaleone, or Pantaleone? Pantaleone. Pantaleone. Joey Pants. Joey, Joey Pants. Pants. Yes. Yeah. He, long white hair. Uh, on a performance unlike any of his others that I've seen. <laughs> he, he's a character actor that kind of does the same thing in most of his roles. He's, got, great he's got a niche. You know, he's got a specialty. You hire Joey Pants to do a Joey Pants experience, and yeah. we all know that's a certain flavor of performance. Mm -hmm. This is not that. This is right. not he, that. he gets to play around a little more with this character. And it's fun. He's clearly having a good time. Yeah, I like him in this uh, a lot. He's He's yeah. got this, ex this really uh, unique way of speaking using his voice differently than i've ever heard it before it's um, kind of like that transatlantic accent you can tell he's from america but he talks as if he's from england in a way you know he's yeah, very right. fancy in his dress yep loves making an omelet mm. and yeah like you said the long stringy white hair and he's the first recruit they come across i think and does he – it's been like a month since I watched this now. So does Billy Ray know that he's Kid Durango as soon as they find him? Within a couple of minutes. Yeah, they meet him at the bar. Thomas introduces them. He's much more of a writer than he is a gunslinger, and that's evident from the first time you see him. And then you realize he is no gunslinger at all. He's just the writer. And whose exploits is he stealing, dear Christopher? <laughs> Why, it's Van Leek. The real Kid Durango. Yeah, as he says, because, you know, people don't want to hear about no colored gunslinger or colored cowboy, Negro cowboy. And 
you're like, oh, that's fucked up and awful, and it's 100% true. People wouldn't buy those books if it was about some black cowboy. So, of course, he pretends that Kid Durango is the actual gunslinger, and he's doing it. And Billy Ray is a little crushed, but he kind of gets over it quick and he still likes the guy. What's his <laughs> fucking name? I don't no, know. The, the character's, character's real name. name. Uh, it's like Fenton or something. Okay, it's not listed on Wikipedia here, so I will Oh, sure. no, but yeah, it's it's some hoity-toity name. Yeah, yeah. he's educated, we know that. He's that guy, he's not Kid Durango, is my point. Yeah. That's who he really is, and from that point, that's who Billy Ray, that's what Billy Ray refers to him as, like Fenton or whatever, and, you know, he seems to genuinely like the guy, even though he's like, oh, you're a lion sack of shit. <laughs> okay, I guess, you know, hey, I like your books at any rate. Cool, bro, cool. Uh, and then they go and find the other guys. Who's your favorite of the other guys? I guess I can let you list, list them off if you'd like to. Uh, yeah, well, there's, you know, several. There's uh, John Glover as he, he's a preacher, charlatan type that they, they um, come across. MC Ganey, who I know, I think mostly from Lost, but he's been in a ton of stuff. Con Air. Club Dread. Yeah, okay. I don't remember him from that. I'm only seeing that one once, I think. God, again, I wish I could <laughs> reach through the internet to just shake you. Oh, is he maybe in, um, is he in the Kurt Russell breakdown? No, I don't think so. Um, anyway, MC Ganey. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Actually, yes, he is. He is. Okay. He's in Django Unchained. He's he's been in so many things. Yeah, he's he's the the redneck badass that he that shows up in a ton of stuff. Yeah, he's a redneck badass. If he, you know him, trust us. You know, if you're listening to this podcast, you know his face, <laughs> his name. And then there's Miguel Sandoval mm-hmm. as Roberto, not Bob, not Bobby. And that dude's been in everything. He's got a great small part uh, in Get Shorty. I will have him staple your tongue to your face. What do you? I think? know him best as uh, the the drug lord in Clear and Present Danger. Who? Uh, oh yes, yeah, yeah. But I mean, he's been in tons of shit. He gets killed in the beginning of Ricochet. Fuck, what's that other thing he's in? Um, oh, the TV show Murder One from the nineties, which is going to be a real deep cut for a lot of people. God damn, that's a great show. He's in the first season of the Stephen Bochco 1994 or 5. Absolutely fantastic TV show Murder One. <laughs> I remember it as a name of a TV show more than anything. I don't think I ever saw it. It's on Hulu right now. Go watch the first season. It's fantastic, I promise you. Stanley Tucci, The Tooch. Oh, that's always a good casting choice. So, Yeah, playing a very oily, evil character and having the time of his life doing it so yes anyway uh he's in it and then also the great branscombe richmond native american actor yeah the indian guy plays dancing bear i know him from uh, renegade that was a a show my mom liked a lot in the because of lorenzo lamas yeah yeah i'm sure that's why she liked it yeah he got killed by uh steven seagal and hard to kill Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, he got killed by a lot of guys in a lot of movies. He's done a lot of stunts and plays a lot of henchmen, a lot of thugs and gang members, a lot of bad guys, a lot of drug dealers. That's like he's he's a lot of bad guys, dude. And he gets killed a lot. And uh, he seems big and imposing. He's got a mean, you know, fucking glare. He's a bad motherfucker. I love him. Whenever he popped up in something, like for 20-something years, when Branscombe Richmond popped up in something, I I would just, yeah, it's like James Lou. You know, yeah, fuck yeah. I'm looking at his filmography. He goes all the way back to Kentucky Fried Movie in 1977 in The Fish That 
say Pittsburgh. Hell uh, yes. I've never seen, but I really need to, given that it's a Dr. J basketball movie. Yeah. Commando. Action Jackson, the perfect weapon. Dude, he's been in so many action classics, it's not even funny. Yeah, he, he's uh, he's not quite Al Young. No, Al Leong. Al Leong, yeah. Uh, not quite that level, but he, he's been around. <laughs> and he's really good in this, too. He's a lot of fun. He'll start screaming and chanting out of nowhere, whooping. Scares the shit out of the other characters and me. Yeah, so those guys... You know, John Glover, probably the best known, and then MC Ganey. Well, I mean, if we're, if we're removing Joey Pants from the equation. Right, right. If it's just the gang, you know, of the actual criminals and killers and all that shit. Oh, and then there's that one dude who gets killed by Dancing Bear, Branscombe Richmond. The asshole who seems like he's going to, you know, fuck with Billy Ray. Maybe try to diddle him in the night or something. <laughs> yeah. You know, you just get the sense that the guy, that guy just got out of prison, like, and wasn't released, you know, got out of prison. one of the guys that was being hung? Yeah, yeah. He's the one that the Indian shows up and, and nails with an arrow from like fucking 500 yards away. Yeah, it, it's it's a great little cast. It, it's a small handful, but everyone in that handful is super high quality. If you if you get off on seeing character actors pop up and shit, and there's, there's a lot of us, you know, certain people show up and you just smile and you're just like, okay, it's going to be cool when this dude's on screen. I can't necessarily vouch for anything else that's going to happen, but when <laughs> this dude is on, I'm going to be smiling and you're kind of happy. And then you get like four of those in like quick succession with this flick, like, oh, this guy? And then, yeah. oh, fucking that dude, rock <laughs> on. And then that happens again and again. So if nothing else, this movie's like, it's not a hangout movie, but it's still cool to hang out with him. You know what I mean? It, it's not not quite as deep as The Last Outlaw. You know right. what I'm saying? Right. But I bet you, like, I could totally see MC Ganey playing Ted Levine's character in The Last Outlaw. You know what I mean? And he, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't miss a beat, you know? Yeah, and, like, John Glover could play the John McGinley character. Right. You know? Yeah. There's a, I mean, The Last Outlaw, you could say there's a little bit of a higher level, at least more well-known character actors than, than what we have in well, this. Yes. I would say but, more well known. But, but again, um, I mean, I'm just saying that you could you could put a lot of these guys in those parts, and they would do really good. Yeah, you, there some of them are kind of could almost be interchangeable. You would think, yeah, not playing the same the character the same way, but could get a lot like of, I bet Branscom Richmond could have played Keith Keith David's part. You know, yeah. not that that's not that I would trade him for Keith David. I just got done saying how much I love Branscom Richmond, and I do. <laughs> but I'd kick that motherfucker out of an airplane if it meant that you know, I got Keith David instead. That's where that's at. <laughs> for your Keith David for showing up in the newest uh, season of Justified. By the way, as a shitty ass judge. <laughs> um, anyway, so those guys yeah the the only other really uh actor of note outside of maybe the um the girl that he's trying to rescue the suave robert beltrain is el diablo and i've you know i, I think i only really know him from voyager he was on star trek voyager in the in the mid 90s um, and i like that show a lot but he's got a pretty solid filmography as well of Mostly of stuff I haven't seen, but I've heard of. <laughs> have you seen Night of the Comet, or do I have to like disown you again? <laughs> no, I have seen Night of the Comet. I haven't seen Lone Wolf and McQuaid. I haven't seen Bugs. Uh, and uh, I've seen Trekkies, <laughs> the documentary. Lone Wolf McQuaid is my favorite Chuck Norris movie. Ah, I think the only, off the top of my head, the only Norris movies I think I've seen are, of course, the Jonathan Brandis classic Sidekicks and... Hellbound? Is that the name of the one where he's fighting the demon? Oh, yeah. That's it. Christopher Neem as the bad guy. 
I, that's from like 95 or 96. I know exactly what you're talking about. And so you've seen those, ones. but you haven't seen Lone Wolf McQuaid. We're back to disowning you. We're right back to disowning you, Christian. Um, but no, he's he's in those. He's also the title character in Eating Raul, the black oh, yeah. that Paul, Paul Bartel did. Yeah, I'm aware of it, but I bet yeah, I haven't seen that one either. It's a it's a deeply weird movie. Very good, <laughs> deeply weird. But yeah, he's he's just kind of like this smarmy, suave. I'll also more than happy to kill people in the back or when they're not expecting right. it. Just just we really a, only see him at the very beginning, you know, when he raised the town, and then at the end when they finally find his. Is that just a town he's taken over? <laughs> it yeah. seems kind of like El Guapo's town in Three Amigos. <laughs> yeah, it's like his town when he wants to go out in it, but he's he lives in that little cave system yeah. right there. That's where his real hideout is. But the, the, yeah, he owns the town, basically. And he's very, gives off this air of, you know, I'm invincible, I'm better than all of these guys. <laughs> you know, it's a real really, superiority thing, yeah. yeah. He, to me. I really like Robert Beltran a lot, but he almost plays it as a bit too lightweight in a way for me. He's very evil because he does a lot of evil things, but he plays it almost too casually. Like, I almost want to see him revel in being evil a little more. You know what I'm saying? Plus, but he's, he's more like he's super well-dressed, you know, and not dirty at all. He almost seems more like a guy playing a cowboy than a cowboy. Kind of. Kind of, yeah. And and he's relatively young, you know, sure. which is not out of it, it works for the character because a lot of those dudes, you know, that died got really powerful young. by killing a lot of people only made it to be so old. Exactly. They died pretty young. Spoiler, the bad guy dies at the end, you know, as <laughs> as he did does here. You know, he dies young. But again, these are all little things because that's not the movie doesn't live or die on that. Sure. You know, again, it doesn't really fucking matter. Because again, he's barely in it. It's really about everything else, which is kind of funny because that's the whole point is getting to this place and getting the girl. And I would like to note that Sarah Trigger, who plays Nettie, I did not find out until just last night. I was last night years old, Chris, (laughs) when I discovered that Sarah Trigger, who I've seen, she was in this. She was in cult classic and just outright classic to me. PCU, Mm. you know, PCU. I know what PCU is. I've okay. never seen it. I'm that's not going to be. That's not one I'm going to disown you about. Yeah. I forgive you. It's perfectly understandable. But she's I really in that. wanted to see PCU, you know, when I was in high school. I, I thought it was going to be really funny, and I, I just haven't ever watched it. So one day I'll maybe check it out. I like John, Jeremy Piven in general. He, he's, yeah, I mean, if you can hang with what Jeremy Piven did when he was doing his thing, he's really good in that. Favreau in his first, like, part really i think outside of rudy probably anyway it's rad and she's in it i didn't know until last night that she's british and i've been not watching a lot of stuff but she's the crazy british actress who was married to john crier for a while and i say crazy not because she's a woman and i'm a misogynist or anything like that i say crazy because she hired a hitman to fucking kill john crier Oh, wow. You know, when I was looking up her, like, filmography and stuff, I did see, like, some articles about some controversy with her and John Cryer, but I didn't look into it. That's fucking nuts. <laughs> they were married for a while, and then they got divorced, and she married someone else, and I guess the things with Cryer were not going great, whatever the divorce or settlement whatever and she decided to hire a hitman and he you know turned her in and he said that she didn't just hire she wasn't trying to hire him to kill john crier she was trying to hire him to kill john crier and her current husband wow. i guess she wanted the like two for one she went for the bonus plan he's uh, so she in prison now no i don't think so but <laughs> she's okay. not uh i don't know what's going on i don't it's not good <laughs> uh-huh. 
Maybe she got a plea deal. Who knows? Anyway, so that's Nettie's story. Wow. Very cute in the movie. You know, she's fine. She's good in it. They didn't ask her to do much. It's odd that, like, when we see her again at the end, you know, El Diablo has kind of got her under this spell or something. Like, I don't know if she's just on opiates or... Basically, it's what the people in, like, the 70s, you know, pimp parlance would have just referred to as turned her out. Because she's his, she's basically his chick. You know what I mean? She's his hot mama. Yeah, and she, I don't know that she even speaks. Like, we get to the point where... Billy Ray shows up and it's like she doesn't even recognize him. Like there's no, no. oh thank God. It's just like she doesn't even tell him to fuck off or anything. She just right. walks over to El Diablo and gets on him like hi daddy and you know. Right. But again, doesn't speak. I don't yeah. think she speaks until the end when she when they save her. But uh, and she comes home. But no, she doesn't. She just kind of looks like she's in a dream. But she doesn't look unhappy to be there. She doesn't look unhappy. She just kind of willingly follows El Diablo around. Thankfully, we're saved some bullshit scene of her crying over his corpse or something. Yeah. You know, where she's been completely brainwashed and, you know, she tries to stab Billy Ray and he's like, I came here to save you. You know, none of that shit. <laughs> but that, I guess that's all I really got as far as the stuff I have for notes. I, I Again, like we talked about earlier, I was not expecting uh, a lot of these characters to not make it <laughs> to the end. Yeah. You know, I don't want to go into specific spoilers, but like, yeah, we don't. See, you know, not everybody makes it to uh, to the finale. And I'm going to of- go ahead and, and just spoil freely and say that um, <laughs> a lot of the people we brought up, they don't make it to the end credits, folks. <laughs> they just don't. Yeah. And it will probably, even with us saying this will probably surprise you, yeah. it will still probably surprise you. Like, oh, fuck. Now you might be a little less surprised because you'll be like, oh, fuck. I guess they really are dead. Chris and AJ said they're dead. They're dead. Yeah, they're <laughs> fucking dead. They're dead. Uh, and it is the violence. It sometimes is a little surprising. They get a little happy with the squib work. Sometimes the dude showing up with only patches of his head among a bloody scalp where they like, it didn't look like they scalped him. Nice. The knife was dull, I think. And it took a little bit. It took some time to work it out. And yeah, the movie goes hard sometimes in ways you're not necessarily expecting, but sometimes it does that. And it's funny. The guy, the guy that was horribly scalped, that was not supposed to be funny. <laughs> but some of the other shit uh, there's a gag in it that i'm not going to give away that it made me cackle again watching it uh, for the podcast this time it's just it's it is played broadly and it is dumb but i've never seen it in a movie it's it's a repeating bit of violence and it's just rad i loved it i loved it i just think i think it's a good movie i'm not going to say it's a five star or a four star movie but i'd give it three and a half out of five easy and i would watch yeah. it again would you watch it again uh, yeah, for sure. I, I was entertained by it quite a bit. I think it's something that if you're a fan of, especially if you're a fan of the the, the actors in this movie, like you definitely are going to enjoy watching it. it. It's funny. It's violent. It kind of, I mean, it's not a super like um, surprising as far as like the uh, the outcome and stuff like that. You know, it's but it's not also not like a typical western. At least of the ones I've seen. Again, I'm not super aficionado on on westerns, but um, but yeah, I enjoyed it quite a bit, and it is. Again, it's more of a comedy than anything else, and the jokes land more often than not. Yeah, but again, some of the jokes are stuff like, you know, oh, here's this guy. He showed up, and he's on my side. And then, oh, no, he's killing everybody. <laughs> you know, and it's fucking funny. But it's it's he's fucking killing everybody. It's like he's really <laughs> killing everybody. <laughs> but it's funny. But yeah, it, even with all that kind of shit, it, I think it works as a Western. Again, as a Western comedy, I'm sure people who are hardcore Western purists would be like, it's just too goofy. 
You know, it's just stupid for me. And it's not like a naked gun or airplane kind of motherfucking thing no. up in this piece. No, but yeah. again, like you said, the visual joke of him showing up in his yak hair fucking <laughs> leggings and shit and his little, you know, bowler cap hat. But again, it is enough of a Western that by the end of the movie, his leggings are pretty dirty, filthy, and he ain't got no hat no more. It's, I think that's something that, didn't he have a hat? There's a lot of really funny background, like ADR that they recorded that was probably written in the script, but at some point they might've just said, you know, Hey, let's make this funnier. And they added, there's a lot of stuff of people talking in the background that you never see who's saying it, but it's weird, funny little gags. And I I dig it, man. I think it's a funny movie. I think it's really fun. You know, it goes without saying, I, I wish Carpenter had, you know, made this as his, his one true Western. You know, he has some Western-ish flicks on his, on his uh, resume. But yeah, I, but yeah, I would have liked to have seen what he would have done with this with this script that, you know, he and Wallace and I guess Bill Phillips, who I'm not familiar with, put together. Oh, and I think it was uh, right after The Fog. My brain was shooting mm. in the face. It was that he did Escape from L.A. instead, Escape from New York instead. After the fog, he was going to do this and didn't, and he did. He brought the world snake Plissken. So really, it's better that he worked didn't. Out. Yeah, it worked out. A world where John Carpenter directed El Diablo is a good world. A world where he did not give us snake Plissken is a bad, bad <laughs> world. Chris can't party with it. All right. Well, anything else on El Diablo before we move on to some other stuff? No, it's good. It's on HBO. That's what I'm going to call it, fuckers. It's not Max. I'm not even going to call it HBO Max anymore. It's just HBO. I don't care. It's HBO. <laughs> right. It's there. It's on H- yes, it's on HBO, and you guys should watch it. It's good. And uh, what is it, like a 94 minutes or something like that? No, no. I think it's actually... Um, is it a little longer than that? I'm almost positive. I think it's uh, just under two hours. Uh, it feels quick. 15 minutes. So, yeah, it, it is. It's uh, just shy of two hours. I, but kinda, it goes by fairly quickly. <laughs> yeah, it kind of goes by, breezes right along, considering, because I, I... Legitimately kinda, thought it was 90 minutes. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was a lot shorter than that. Worth checking out for sure. Now, I didn't, for a normal top three segment, I did not go with, again, with Western, top three Westerns, which we've had another opportunity to pass us by on that, because I'm just not super well-versed on the Western genre, for one thing. But so um, Because of that, you hurt me. Yeah, I, you know, it's, it's 2023, so we're in the 25th anniversary of the uh, pr- pretty excellent year of 1998 in cinema. There's a lot of good stuff from 1998. Now, we, we know 1999 is one of those big years for movies, along with, what, 1984. I'm sure there's a lot of older uh, years people want to point to, but um, 98's got some bangers. So I wanted to That's celebrate that. That's why I'm saying that you hurt me. Because <laughs> you're he, he comes to me, people... Our listeners, dear listeners, hear hear my cry. He comes to me and he's like, oh, let's do a top three of 1998. I'm like, okay, cool. And I'm like, what movies came out in 98? Let me refresh my memory. And fuck you, Chris. That's what I said when I saw it. That's what I said when I saw it. It's harmful to me. (laughs) I'm trying to figure out what I did that you would attack me this way. Because, and I mentioned this to Chris, everybody, 98 is just some random ass year. You know, as Chris said, you're not going to hear people go, oh, my favorite movie year, it's 1998. You just don't really hear that, really. Maybe some people who were young kids and that was a very formative year for them, which is certainly possible because a random ass year in the 90s, it is just banger after banger. I'm mad that we don't get that shit now. That that plays in theaters. These were just movies that just, this is just what 98 did. And I couldn't come up with a top three. Couldn't. God damn it. (laughs) 
It's good. There's too many movies. There's too many good movies. There's too many good movies. No, and nowhere on my list, nowhere in anything that I ever wrote down or thought about is the Andrew Davis movie with Michael Douglas, Gwyneth Paltrow, and Viggo Mortensen, A Perfect Murder, another film version of Dial M for Murder. That's that's not even something I considered. But that's a good fucking movie. I'm not yeah. going to sit here and bullshit you and tickle your balls and tell you it's great because that's not what it is. But it's really, really, really a great time if you like those kind of movies. It's a killer little thriller. And 98 just kind of threw that at you like here and have this as a treat. Like, <laughs> So, yeah, I, I've got movies to talk about, Chris. How do you want to do this? How do you want to – how do we how do we break I'll, um you know, I, I probably got less than you, and I, I think I probably got a different. I'm almost oh, certain I've got at least one of my top three that you're not going to have. So. <laughs> I highly doubt it. I I would I would bet money almost. I'm not going to, but I would bet money if I if I would, which I'm not. But if I would, I would bet money that everything you mentioned is right here, written down on my messy well, ass. I'm saying I've got one in my top going. three that I'm sure is not in your top three or five and i know that there's one that i know will probably be in your top three <laughs> okay all right well all right let's hear it hit me okay like you said big year uh i'm gonna throw out some honorable mentions of stuff that i didn't really consider for my top three but uh, movies that i really love from from 1998 one of them is dirty work the norm mcdonald classic he's made he made two movies he was a co-star in some other stuff like some of the adam sandler stuff uh the late norm mcdonald he made dirty work in 98 which if it didn't have norm mcdonald in it it would not be a good movie <laughs> but he is great in it and his type of humor works perfectly for the, i mean the movie is just built around him so obviously anybody else in it would it wouldn't work anyway but um I love that movie. I think it's hilarious and not not one of the best movies in '98, but one of my favorites. Yeah, you actually did right off the bat, right off the fucking bat, straight out the gate, Chris. Completely shocked me. I'm glad I did not bet you money because, <laughs> no, shockingly, we do not live in a world where I put dirty work on my favorite movies of the year <laughs> list of 1998. Wow, I feel like I'm slipping so, here somehow. It's so good. <laughs> His other movie was Screwed, which you know you would think a movie would. Norm Macdonald, Dave Chappelle, Danny DeVito as the three leads. Can't miss, right? Fucking terrible. We also Can't. all thought that about Envy with Jack Black and Ben Stiller. And we no, also I never thought there. that one. But, but yeah, Screwed is awful. But I, I love Dirty Work. Anyway, H2O. Halloween 20 years later, Jamie Lee Curtis returning to the franchise. The screamification of Halloween, some might say. I, don't know I do not. Yeah, I, don't, I was going to say, I don't know if that's really accurate, but I do like H2O a lot. It's um, probably my favorite Halloween outside of the original and maybe the other two Halloweens, Rob Zombies and, and uh, David Gordon Green. Is that right? Yeah. But it's up there with those. I, I, I love H2O. And then Enemy of the State is another honorable mention. Gene Hackman and Will Smith, Tony Scott's Enemy of the State. Really fun. Great. I mean, what a cast, because it's got a ton of character actors in that one as well in small roles. Um, yeah, a lot of those guys were not anything. A lot of those guys were up-and-comers. They were not really anything. you know. Right. Yeah, Jack Black, Scott Kahn, Barry Pepper, Jamie Kennedy, and Seth Green. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's nuts. Yeah, a bunch of – and uh, Regina King, I think, is also – she's the wife, right? Yeah. Jason Lee, John Boyd, mm -hmm. yeah. Tom Sizemore, Lisa Bonet, yeah, fucking Gabriel Byrne. Excellent, it's great. Excellent yeah. movie. Love Enemy of the State. But not in my top three, although that one was kind of close. My actual top three from 1998, Can't Hardly Wait, the teen movie. Nice. nice. The teen I movie love Can't Hardly generation. Wait. That, you know, teen movies weren't really 
that big in like the early 90s, at least not that I can remember. This one came around in 98 and then there were several and it wasn't even a big hit. But I think Scream is what really kind of led to a lot of teen movies coming out, even that weren't horror movies. Oh, it Uh, completely re-energized the teen movie genre and led to that whole she's all that renaissance. Sure. But Can't Hardly Wait is, is just about a, a high school graduation party. Very John Hughes in the 90s. It's it's very, 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 very influenced <laughs> by John Hughes. And but another it's so cast. of the 90s, it's not even funny. Yeah. Another stat cast of young actors. Jennifer Love Hewitt is the poster girl, but not really the main character, although she's vital to the story. Ethan Embry is probably what we would consider the lead, and he's great in it. Yes, he Love is. Can't Hardly Wait. Number two... Uh, a Simple Plan, Sam Raimi's noir, super depressing flick with Billy Bob Thornton and Bill Paxton, Bridget Fonda. Excellent movie about a couple of idiots and uh, one of the idiot's brothers that uh, find uh, a bunch of money and decide to try and keep it for themselves and everything goes wrong quite quickly. I love A Simple Plan. It's probably my favorite Raimi movie that's not like a genre movie, which, I mean, I guess a lot of his movies are, so there's that. But outside of like the Evil Dead and Spider-Man movies... A Simple Plan is probably the best one. And then number one, I don't think a big surprise, although I don't know if it would be everybody's number one from this year. Out of Sight, Steven Soderbergh's adaptation of a Elmore Leonard novel, and it's got Clooney and probably my favorite performance of his uh, in a movie. Also, my favorite Jennifer Lopez performance by a huge margin. Uh, I don't think she's ever been better in a movie, and I don't think it's I don't think you can argue it. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I'm right there with you. Uh, also, Steve Zahn is great in a f- kind of a smaller role. And Vin Don Rain, Cheadle. Don Cheadle. Albert Brooks. Brooks. <laughs> it's just naming awesome people in movies now. Yeah, and uh, that's what... Out of Sight is incredible. Um, and that's my number one for 98. Rock and roll? I mean, yeah, you can't really go wrong because, again, there's just so many movies and that's that's a great list. That's a great list. So I think we're done here. All right. Yeah, cool. what, do you, what do you got? I know you got. Uh, you've got at least five. Yes, I have at least five. But yeah, I mean, it's and out of sight isn't in my top five, which is crazy because it, that's what I'm saying. It's the kind of year where you have something like out of sight, isn't it? Ronin isn't it? Mm-hmm. You know, the, the Mask of Zorro, a fantastic adventure movie, old fashioned, but like stirring and rousing, and probably the best Antonio Banderas and definitely Catherine Zeta Jones have ever looked on film. <laughs> it might be the best. That two people have ever looked on film in the same movie. You're probably right. <laughs> that movie's just, and just aside from that, the movie's amazing. Martin Campbell go, going off. It's great. And then you have like horror, like Bride of Chucky came out that year. Fucking awesome. The Faculty, tons of fun. Blade, dude. Part of me is like, how the fuck do you make a top three list of any year and Blade doesn't go on it if that's the year Blade came out? If Blade came out in 1999. It should be on the top three. If Blade came out in my favorite movie year of all, 1994, it should be in the top three. It's motherfucking Blade. But I didn't do it. I couldn't do it. And it's fucked. It's fucked, Christopher. This is what I'm saying. Too many movies. Too many movies, Christopher. (sighs) Okay. Then there's H2O, which I want to put in my top five because I made five. I couldn't do three. I want to put H2O in there because, like you said, when it came out, I knew it was my favorite after the first one. And it was my favorite for many, many years. And then I saw 2018, the first David Gordon Green one. And I love Kills and I love Ants. But the 2018 was just such a great, 
return to all the stuff that I loved. And it had some really interesting parallels with H2O. Uh, some of the stuff that I really liked about H2O was just approaching it from a different angle. H2O still remains my second favorite Halloween movie. It's just tied with 2018 for my second favorite. So there's that. Here's my top five, Chris. Okay. And that's not even getting into the possibility of how can we not talk about the substitute to schools out with the late great treat Williams RIP sir mm-hmm. and you might think I'm joking if you haven't seen the substitute too and you like good low budget DTV action movies I me and Chris might do the substitute sequels at some point you don't know we might do it because they're fucking fun substitute two is great from there honestly top five number five is deep rising that's why treat Williams popped to mind oh, you know like yeah. you know I got a rep deep rising dude you I, know I, I can't do. blame you there I'm that motherfucker. I'm going to do Deep Rising as long as I live, all the rest of my life. Number four, The Big Lebowski. The Big Lebowski, one of my favorite Cohen movies. And the movie that really made me realize that a lot of people will watch, they'll be loving the Cohen Brothers movie that just came out, like Fargo, which is the movie they came out with right before The Big Lebowski. And then The Big Lebowski comes out, and about half of the Cohen heads go nuts. Oh my God, this is great. And another half of them are like, you know, I think I like it, but I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it. I'm not sure. And that seems to happen a lot with their movies. The new one will come out and there'll be a group of people that'll flip out. And then another group of people who love Coen Brothers movies that are like, I don't know about this one. And what I think it is, is every single one is so completely different than the one they did before. Yeah. A lot of their movies are similar, but they're never back to back similar. You know what I mean? You, you won't get, generally speaking, in the 2000s, like around the intolerable cruelty era, you could say like that and Lady Killers back to back were kind of. Mm-hmm. But anyway, and then from Big Lebowski, they went to, I think it was the man who wasn't there, the Billy Bob Thornton black and white, you know, noir thing. They make sure they don't repeat themselves. I love that they didn't repeat themselves. I saw this when it came out. It kicked my ass. I watch it all the time. I know it's a cliche now the same way that something like Pulp Fiction is because it's like, oh, of course, that's one of your films. Well, yeah, it's because it's really good. You know how cliches and stereotypes become cliches and stereotypes? Because it happens over and over, which is people loving this movie. That's why it's number four. If you're like, oh, why did he put Big Lebowski? You really shouldn't ask that question. It's because it's a cliche and it's a stereotype and it's just that good. That's why it's there. Number three is Dark City. Mm, I considered that one as well. It rules. If you haven't dark, seen Dark City, go see it. Alex Press, uh, sci-fi, mind-bender freakout. I, I, if you've seen it, you know why I have it on here. If you haven't, please go see Dark City. I don't it's really know like, what I could say about it that would make that would try to sell someone on it, other than just trying to let the movie do it. It's like a it's well, like a mix of 30s German impressionism and 40s fucking noir and 80s sci-fi and. It's in a mindfuck of any era. It's just this weird, really creepy and unique and visually stunning. And God, it's just so spotted. Well, I've got two selling points you could use. Okay. Jennifer Connelly? Well, uh, (laughs) I'll get there. Okay. One, much like Joey Pants with a unique to him performance in L.A. Uh Kiefer Sutherland, like you've never seen him before in Dark City. And uh, yes, Jennifer Connelly, the best she's ever looked, and just wow. And it it's, got, it's got another. It's got a good cast aside from them as well. Obviously. Uh, oh yeah, William Hurt, and of course uh, Rufus Sewell. Yeah. Yeah, or Rufus Sewell. Yeah. So anyway, but, uh, um, Kiefer is great because Kiefer is doing his best Peter Lorre impression, and it's really good. Yeah, Dark City is number three. Number two is your uh, Sam Raimi, A Simple Plan. 
Mm-hmm. Those days are few and far between. Uh, yes. One of the most depressing uh, endings to a movie I've ever seen. It's dark as shit, but it's legitimately great. I think it's the best movie. Uh, no, no. I, did, I'm, I said it backwards. I think it's the best film that Sam Raimi has ever made. But obviously my favorite movie is Evil Dead 2 because that's how I roll. Yeah, A, sim- a Simple Plan is just a masterpiece. Uh, excellent masterpiece of a book as source material from Scott Smith. And the movie is you know, scripted by him, as you noted, directed by Raimi, perfectly acted by Bill Paxton, who with this and frailty, it's probably his best work. Um, and then there's another third one that I always forget and I get mad every time it comes up. But I think he's probably at his best in frailty and then a simple plan. Bridget Fonda and Billy Bob Thornton doing phenomenal work. Uh, Brent Biscoe, Briscoe as Lou doing great mm-hmm. work. Yeah, it's just it's it's a masterpiece. The character actor who plays the sheriff, I don't know his name, but he's great. And every you know, he was in Major League and he's always good. The over the hill pitcher in Major League. Major League. Right. Yeah. Uh, Chelsea Ross is his name. There's no good reason why I should know that guy's name, but I knew it completely. Uh, him and Lane Smith always kind of get traded out to me. But yeah, uh, and then number one, which might be a black horse for a lot of people, and I'm sure you will go, oh, it's Zero Effect with Bill Pullman and Ben Stiller and an American Sherlock Holmes is the best way to describe it. An updated American Sherlock Holmes. Jake Kasdan's writing, directing debut. It's a comic mystery. Bill Pullman is Daryl Zero, America's answer to Sherlock Holmes. It is the best performance I've ever seen him give, and Pullman is really good. So this should tell you how highly I rank his performance here. Ben Stiller is great and is not doing kind of the Ben Stiller neurotic guy that he normally does. It's a different flavor of Ben Stiller neurotic guy. It's kind of a I'm over this bullshit kind of neurotic guy. Kim Dickens is in it and is great. Uh, the Brian O'Neill was good in it. He wasn't always, but he was good in this. Yeah, Zero Effect. Absolutely fantastic. That's awesome. my number one. I've never seen Zero Effect. I just, I'm, as you were talking, I was looking to see if it's streaming anywhere, and it's available to rent, but it's not streaming for free anywhere. But Just buy the DVD. <laughs> there is no blue, I know. I bought a copy on streaming because I ordered the DVD, and I didn't want to wait. I wanted to watch it that day. So <laughs> literally, I paid money for it on DVD and then was like, well, I'll just rent it. And I was like, no, it's cheap. Just buy a fucking copy so i have two <laughs> for the times i don't feel like getting up from the couch yeah it's it is so good i it is it's so funny and witty and the script oh my god the script it's filmed in and set in portland oregon which i lived in for a short period of time in the 90s and love uh and does not get a lot of love on film it's so good, dude. Please watch it. I, I'm I'm not even going to be shitty with you about it. I love the movie so much, and I'm so genuine right now. Please watch it. Please. Yeah, I, I remember Please when do. that came out, and you know, I like Bill Pullman, so I've always kind of thought that's probably a good movie. I've just never have gotten gotten around to watching it, so it, I'll definitely try and track it down. Please watch it. It's so good. <laughs> <laughs> and that's my top five. Well, again, 1998 is an awesome year for movies. Underrated. And a uh, nice trip down memory lane. Those movies are all 25 years old. Shut <sighs> your whore mouth. Don't <laughs> um, say those things get, to me. Before we roll out, I, I, we'll talk about some of the recent stuff we've seen. Uh, I'm going to let you go first because I want to ask you specifically about, I know you watched Guardians. I saw that today. The third Guardians of the Galaxy flick. Volume three, and yes. I don't think I've talked to you about, since you've seen them or if you've even watched them, I, I'm assuming you have. Some of the more recent Marvel flicks, 
Wakanda Forever and Quantum Mania, both of which seem to not get as much love. Yeah. I Wakanda love Forever Wakanda. got a lot, I think, as the last, you know, tribute to Chad in that. Yeah. In but that it seemed world. like it was still one that had a lot more detractors than I expected because I thought it was amazing. I have it. I, I redid my, you know, MCU rankings when that one came out because it was the 30th one and yeah. it was in my top I think 10. we did talk about it because I think I remember you telling me that. Yeah, but I don't think you had seen it yet. That's no. I was just curious what your opinion. Quantum Mania is not as good as a lot of the other Marvel movies, so I'm not surprised it didn't get a great reception. But I still liked it. But what did you think of the uh, the the last three Marvel movies? I guess just well, just to, uh, I will tell you. I really liked Wanda Wakanda Forever. Wanda, Jesus Christ! <laughs> I really liked Wakanda Forever. I didn't like it as much as the first one. It by I, I don't know how else you would do it. If you don't recast the character, right. you have to deal with the loss, and that loss hangs heavy over the movie. A lot. I mean, that funeral scene is beautiful, and it's very moving, and it's very emotional, and you can tell that it's very real for the cast members. You know, it's they're not acting their loss. It's very powerful, but because of that heaviness, it's just not as entertaining in the typical fashion that I hope for when I watch a Marvel movie. And it's not necessarily intended to be. It shouldn't be a complete party, you know, yeah. in this situation. But I, I, my reaction is my reaction. You know what I mean? And that's probably not fair of me in a way. Because I, it's not that I, I feel like I'm being hard on the movie. I'm not dinging the movie. I'm not saying the movie sucks because of this or I think the movie is lesser because of it i'm just saying i didn't have as much fun just because of the nature of it it's yeah. just part and parcel you can't do anything about that but because of that honestly i had less fun than i normally do so <laughs> it's it's good it's actually great i mean i'm not going to say it's not just a fucking killer because it is but it's not one of my favorites now here's the thing here's here's the funny thing i was fucking overjoyed from beginning to end of quantumania I think I might like that better than anybody I've seen. I was 100% on board the whole time with all of it. I was like, yeah, yeah, yes. <laughs> oh, that? Yes, give me that. It, I just kept laughing and having fun. And I I don't know, man. I may just be that fucking guy. I might be that perfect mark for these people that are making these movies. And everyone else seems to really hate them now. That's the thing. To be sick of them and want them done, I will watch a hundred more like Quantumania and be happy to do it. I don't think they're going to go that far, but if if they're at least this good, I'll happily keep watching them until the wheels fall off. Let's do it. Yeah, I, I, I like Quantumania a lot. I, I, mean, I, I know it's my favorite of the Ant Man movies, like, and it is the funniest of them. I think so. Yeah, I, it, I don't think it's as good. It's it's not like I would just offhandedly. I don't think it's one of the fifteen best Marvel movies or whatever. But it's still good. It's still entertaining. It's still fun. So, yeah, I liked it. Yeah, I don't know that I would put it in the top 15, but a lot of the Marvel movies do give me that same reaction where I'm just tickled as fuck from beginning to end. Yeah. I'm just, I just, I don't know if I'm stupid, <laughs> you know, like in the sense that I can just turn large parts of my brain off and react to it as I would have when I'm 12. But I know a large part of it is really just, I would have done, there's a lot of shit I would have done to get shit like this when I was 12. Yeah. And now I'm getting it. And just because I'm it's, closer to 50 doesn't mean that I can't just 
be like, oh my god, they're doing it. They're really doing this shit. As and recently as like 2005, I was like, well, we're never going to get an Avengers movie. That's not going to happen. <laughs> Even though they were making we were? Spider-Man and Fantastic Four and stuff, I just thought there was just no way we were going to get something with like all of these characters together. It just seemed outrageous. And it not necessarily should have worked. You know, it's just, oh man, I, I really enjoyed it. I loved it. I thought it was great. Great, 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 great. I cannot complain. What about the final chapter of the Guardian well, saga? I loved it. Again, I am a mark for these fuckers and the Guardians are some of my favorite characters. Not my, if not my favorite characters, I, I think it's absolutely phenomenal. I it's and again this is and you can be like well why why did you have as much fun with this one as you did but you didn't with wakanda forever because this one's super emotional and and can get really heavy too and it's because fucking bradley cooper's not dead and they're not saying his character is dead and we're like saying goodbye to rocket that's why that's really why because it does this one is dark and fucked up and heavy and it is you know rocket centric and gets into all the horrible shit he's endured and it's hard to watch sometimes and it makes you cry sometimes because if you give a shit about these characters, which I do, it's it's how are you not invested at this point to the point where you have to bust tears? Mm. You know, I'm not even going to lie with you, homie. I had to bust tears. <laughs> I, I'm saying that because I actually had someone say that to me in my life and I've never forgotten it. I had to bust tears, dog. Um, it's it was really funny. It was really uh, above and beyond rocket it was kind of wrenching in the way that you had to watch quill try to come to terms with the fact of something they're not really acknowledging zamora is fucking dead right i mean zamora gamora is fucking dead she's dead the one he fell in love with the one that we saw in all the movies she's dead and this one is a, a different gamora and she does kind of pointed out you know but no one keeps saying the one you love is dead dead like gone <laughs> like she's that's actually that that happened she's fucking dead i really and like it, the way they played with that the gamora the, the gamora the two gamoras and all that stuff yeah. with peter and, and everything that was really well done they do acknowledge it uh, quill does acknowledge he's like you know she got her you know, her dad Thanos threw her off a magic cliff or whatever he <laughs> yeah. says. So, I mean, it's like he does he does acknowledge it, but he's so it, – they play it really well. He's so brokenhearted that he can't see beyond the fact that it's just Gamora here in front of him. That's all he really sees. And it's it's really involving, like I said before, and very emotional. And, and then above and beyond all that, there's some absolutely fabulous – exciting action and cool little sequences and that hallway fight mm-hmm. yep. holy fuck that was killer yeah that was killer i wish the guys who directed accident man 2 would watch <laughs> that and go this is how you do this shit and move the camera around and make it dynamic without being distracting but anyway no i fucking <laughs> love I, I loved it i loved it a lot i don't know if i love it as much as the first two which is weird because a lot of people are like, it's my favorite one. And I get that. Sure. I think it might be the best one. You can tell it's very personal to James Gunn. And I don't mean like he's gone through the scientific experiments and he wants to share <laughs> his feelings and pain with the world. He loves Rocket. I remember before the Avenger, before Guardians of the Galaxy ever came out, all kinds of people involved with Marvel, Kevin Feige, you know, sorry because he's an asshole, but Joss Whedon, having just done uh, the Avengers and everything, I remember Whedon saying that Gunn will not shut the fuck up about this raccoon. He loves this fucking raccoon. And the movie hadn't even come out yet. But I think Rocket 
as a character is a large part of what sparked him and got him in wanting to do the movie in the first place, to be able to do Rocket. And they say it in the movie. Someone says to Rocket, I think it's Lila, is that her name? Lila? Yeah, Lila. Lila. She says, it's been your story all along. And I don't necessarily think all the movies are about Rocket, but I think what it is saying is that he's been as much an important figure as Quill or anybody you want to point to. And I do think a lot of the heart and soul of it is with Rocket, which is funny. He's a, a little right. he's a little experimented raccoon. And I love that he owned his name mm-hmm. because they, they only called him Rocket in the movies. And I hadn't thought about that because when he shows up, I mean, uh, when the movie came out, people were referring to him as Rocket Raccoon. I didn't read the comic book, so I didn't know the character. Bradley Cooper's going to play a little walking, talking raccoon named Rocket Raccoon who loves machine guns? Okay, cool. And then I saw the movie, and I'm like, that's rad. But every, And I didn't realize until this movie that everyone just called him Rocket. We all called him Rocket Raccoon, but he was just Rocket in the movies. Ain't no thing like me except me. Except me. And even in this movie, almost the whole movie, I'm not a fucking raccoon, <laughs> you know, until he owns it. And it was just this, yeah, man, it's beautiful. I, I loved it. I thought it was great. I thought yeah, it was- I loved it as well. I, I would probably put it in between the other. I like the first guardian is I think the most, and then probably the third uh, right behind it. But yeah, it's great. Yeah. Awesome movie. Absolutely. Brother. So I kind of forced those on you. What else you seen lately? Anything else you want to shout out? Well, you know, Oh, I watched the one you sent me. Good boys. Fucking hilarious. (laughs) I'm glad you liked. Yeah, it was, it was pretty, I mean, and this is not meant as a slam. It's pretty much exactly what I thought it was going to be, which is (laughs) kind of super bad, but kids. Yeah. And I'm absolutely fine with that because, yep, it was great. They cloned Tyrone on Netflix with John Boyega, Tiana Paris, and Jamie Foxx. Have you seen that? I haven't watched it yet, but I'm excited to see it, though. It's fucking rad. <laughs> it's really good, dude. It's really good. It's really smart, really angry, really funny, you know, kind of shocking and surprising at times. It's clever. It's really smart. Yeah, it's got a lot of, got a lot of ideas. It's real cool. I mean, I just mean cool. You know, like so it's like I'm assuming it, I haven't even seen a trailer. I'm assuming it's like a sci-fi action comedy. Kind of, yeah. I definitely sci-fi, definitely comedy. Uh, there is some action in it, but also kind of satirical, also kind of social commentary, conspiracy, thriller, paranoid, mindfuck thing. It's 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 a a melange, a <laughs> hodgepodge of excellence, if you will. And everybody's really good in it. Yeah, man, I fucking love that. I thought it was great. I also saw Marcel the Shell with shoes on. Do you know that one? I'm aware of it. I haven't seen it. It's cute as shit. It looks it's cool. Great. I've seen it's... the trailer, so I'm aware of it, but I, yeah, I haven't watched yeah. it yet. Just like a little feel-good thing, you know? It just makes you feel better. It just <laughs> makes you smile. It's it, it's just a lovely little flick, dude. I really dug it. When revisited The Arrival from 1996 with Charlie Sheen. You know what I'm talking about? I do. I like that movie. I haven't seen it since probably 1997, but I did like it. I watched it a couple times, like on HBO or whatever. I think it's on Prime is where I watched it. Go rewatch it, dude. It fucking, it's still really good. It's, it's a really, really good movie. You trying to tell people now, watch this alien invasion thriller from (laughs) the nineties called the arrival starring Charlie Sheen. And the conversation is over right there. 99% of the time. Don't let it be the end of the conversation. It's so fucking good. It's smarter than a lot of movies of its type. It has more going on, intellectually speaking. And apparently a lot of scientists and shit lose their mind about that movie because it's apparently most of the science is very accurate in it. Not to say that it's boring, but it's just, right. you know, yeah, it's about, it was about global warming and all the shit we're dealing with now with all our climate change 
nonsense how we've finally killed the planet to the point where it seems like it's okay i'm gonna start killing you back okay <laughs> this was this was talking about that in 96 but through the prism of a alien invasion thriller there's definitely action and violence in it it's pg but it's not a shoot 'em up thing but there's you know chase scenes and you know limbs get cut off and stuff but it's super cool it's so cool i i really dig the arrival and yeah i mean i could go deeper but we'll just leave it there yeah, I'll go through a few that uh, I've seen. Most of these are, well, not all, but several of these are, are theatrical stuff. Um, I think it's streaming now for rent, but I watched it a couple weeks ago. Insidious, The Red Door. Oh. I love the Insidious. Well, I should say I love Insidious. It's one of my favorite horror movies. Maybe maybe a top ten horror movie for me, the first Insidious. Insidious. Do you consider Insidious. Chapter 2 to be, do, do you think of 1 and 2 as one big movie or no? You you could, but I I just kind of look I just kind of pretend it, part two doesn't exist. I just oh, okay. I don't really like part two. I think it's got a lot of really cool scares and stuff, which is kind of the point of the horror movies, you know, like the 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 James Wan horror movies. It's got a lot of effective stuff in it, and I really like Patrick Wilson really chewing the scenery, especially towards the end of that movie. But overall, I don't like places the story went as much in the second one. But and then the, this third one, the Red Door, which is kind of returns to to that family story after having some kind of I guess prequels and stuff uh, in between. Uh-huh. This one's solid. It I would put it on the level of the second Insidious. Not yeah, as well. Just made. got done saying it's not great. <laughs> well, uh, the thing is, the the second Insidious is really well made and and effective. It's just I just don't like the story that it's telling. Okay. Uh, but this one has a lot of cool stuff in it. Not not as well made as you know the James Wan flicks. This one is Patrick Wilson, I think, in his directorial debut, and and we get to see the kid from the first two Insidious movies all grown up. He's in college, and in, in this flick, it's worth seeing if you're a fan of the franchise, which I am. But again, I, I'm really only ride or die for the first Insidious. The others are all kind of not as big a fan of those. I've seen all of them once, and I doubt I'll ever watch any of them again, except for the <laughs> the the ones about this family. Okay. Uh, I think Red Door and Insidious 2 are, are not as good, but still worth we're seeing. Last night, I watched the new Ninja Turtles CGI uh, flick, Mutant Mayhem. Ninja Turtles dug it. Oh, I loved it. It looks uh, fucking Ninja, great. Ninja Everyone's Turtles their was shit. my jam. Other than Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Ninja Turtles, when I was a kid, was the first thing that I was like absolutely crazy about. I had a shit ton of the action figures. I loved the cartoon. The movie came out the summer that I turned 10 years old, so it was right in my wheelhouse. Me and my friends went to see it in the theater. Always loved the Ninja Turtles. And, you know, this one, it's... The, the best part about this one, it's got that Spider-Verse-style animation that's become really popular lately, but it still has its own style, but it's it's not exactly like that. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, just from the trailers, I know exactly what you mean on both counts. Yeah, and... Um, <clears throat> It's got a lot of great voice actors in there. The the the, the turtles themselves, the, the kind of the selling point I think they were going for with this one was these Ninja Turtles really act like teenagers. They have teenagers doing the voices more so than just like characters who act kind of immature, like in some of the other versions or whatever. But I really love this new Ninja Turtles flick. A lot of fun. Mission Impossible Seven. Not remembering the name of the subtitle off the top of my head. Dead Reckoning. Dead Reckoning Part 1. I like the Mission Impossible franchise, not as much as a lot of people seem to. Uh, I still think the first Mission Impossible is the best one they've done. I kind of like the franchise better when they were like hopping directors and giving every director their button and put their own spin on it. Whereas ever since maybe like 
the Brad Bird one, they've all kind of seemed like the same style of a movie, which is great. I mean, they're fun action movies. There's a lot of cool stuff in them, but I kind of liked the the way they were doing it early on with with giving a different voice to each movie in the franchise or whatever. But having said that, MI7 is great. It's probably the best of the Macquarie movies, I think. Haley Steinfeld showing up, uh, stealing the show, kind of. You mean Haley Atwell? Haley Atwell, sorry. Steinfeld is the one from Hawkeye, yeah. Indeed. But anyway, so yeah, MMI 7 is definitely cool and we're seeing all, and kind of like we talked about with Indiana Jones, did not do great at the box office, not as well as expected anyway, but definitely we're seeing. The Yakuza uh, is an older 70s movie. We talked about that briefly, I think off recording when we were talking about Indiana Jones, maybe. But yeah, the Yakuza, Robert Mitchum in a Sidney Pollack movie from like 72, I think. And uh, oh, I think it's later than that, isn't it? Maybe. Maybe it's like 78. I'm not. I was thinking 72, but I'm not going to look it up <laughs> from the 70s. <laughs> it's 75. Okay, 75. Or 74. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he, he basically goes to Japan because he has ties there uh, to deal with this mob situation that's getting out of control with a, a friend of his where they've kidnapped his daughter and, you know, some shootouts and some uh, samurai sword fights ensue. I'd never heard of it until maybe a few months ago. So I ended up uh, getting the Blu-ray because it was on Max and they took it off where I had a chance to watch it. <laughs> but picked up the Blu-ray fairly cheap and uh, really enjoyed it. And then today I finally shoved the blob Scream Factory disc that I bought last year into the player and check that out again. I'd only seen the blob a couple times, I think, before today. Happy birthday to the blob. Yeah, and I, I didn't even realize the day we were recording this was the anniversary of its release. So very cool movie, a lot of awesome, you know, it's it's very, it was a lot to the thing, you know, I feel like with the special effects. Uh, oh, sure. And that's no knock against it. That's actually a plus. So really like the blob and kind of annoyed with myself for waiting so long to actually watch it again because I'd forgotten how cool it is. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much all I got. Anything else before we roll out of here? You want to let people know where they can find you on the internet? Uh, well, they can find me on the internet. I am uh, AJ is the Haunted Gels of Mario Baba at Twitter, which is uh, at Haunted Gels. And I'm on Blue Sky under the name AJ McCready. Uh, I don't remember my handle. I should get that written down somewhere so I have it when we do this. But I'm AJ McCready at Blue Sky. You should be able to find me. That's really all I care to say. Instagram, fuck it. I don't care. Blue Sky and Twitter. Come find me and we'll talk about movies and music and shit. And uh, it's at AJ social. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Christopher. Uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter or the app formerly known as Twitter, at BrodyMan34. Also on Instagram at BrodyMan34. Also on Blue Sky at BrodyMan34. Dot blue sky dot social. I'm on threads as well. I'm guessing that's at Brody Man 34 too. I don't really use that one, but and you can also find the shows Instagram and Twitter at small screeners. So hop on there and let us know what you think of the show if you want, or give the show a rating and or review on your podcatcher of choice if you so choose. And we'll see you guys with another AJ pick next time. The tournament from 20... 2008, maybe? 2009, I think. 2009. So we'll see you guys next time. Peace. Late addition to, uh, to this episode, tacking this on after we found out about the passing of William Friedkin. Rest in peace, sir. Uh, I've talked about him a lot on different episodes of, uh, of Small Screeners. I love uh, hearing him talk about movies. I like most of the movies of his that I've actually seen. Some of them are all-timers. They are. So, they are. Have you seen all of his movies, Chris? 
I haven't seen all of them. No. You haven't? Okay. Uh, I have a copy of the Knife They Rated Minskis that I have still sitting on that I haven't actually checked out yet for one. Way to go. Have you seen The People versus Paul Crump? I don't even know what that is. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'll, I'll. So, uh, no, I'll, no, the answer to your question is no. No, I haven't okay. seen it. <laughs> um, I believe it was his first movie, quote unquote movie. I don't. I think it was probably a 60-minute documentary. I forget how long it is exactly. I've got a copy of it. but um, well, I know he started in documentaries. I haven't seen a single one. I mean, I haven't seen all of his movies. I mean, I'm uh, I'm sorry, but I guess I'm going to have to go meet my maker uh, as a guy <laughs> who has not seen the Sonny and Cher movie. So. Yet. No, no, I'm never going to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's one I may never, uh, never get around to. But uh, The People versus Paul Crump is interesting because it's about an inmate on death row, pretty sure in Chicago, because he was, I think he was at WGN at the time. And he made this documentary and essentially through the movie, got him off death row. Uh, right on. He ended up being moved to, uh, um, I guess, general population. And eventually he was released years later. But um, cool. it's, I bought it, you know, on Amazon, maybe. 10 or 12 years ago on DVD and I watched it at that time. I haven't really seen it since then, but it's an interesting story, interesting aspect of his uh, history. Uh, and then, like I said, I, I've got the night that rated Minsky's haven't watched it yet. Uh, I actually started watching the Brinks job uh, earlier this week. I haven't actually finished it yet, but um, have you ever seen that one? I have not. And I have heard I'm not missing much that surprisingly for all the talent involved, it doesn't quite get off the ground. That's yeah, what I, I, was, I could be wrong, but I mean, that's that's the, right. the consensus. I, I've enjoyed what I've seen of it. I, I, again, I haven't watched it all yet. I've seen about a little over half of it. But um, yeah, Peter Falk is in it. Um, yeah. A guy who I have only seen really in clips of Columbo and The Princess Bride. But uh, it's it's cool seeing him as a, the lead of that. It's like a high You need to watch The In-Laws. That's okay. him and Alan Arkin, and it is the shit. It's hilarious. Yeah, like it's late 70s. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I'm um, 77, maybe 76, yeah. some, somewhere around there. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, just got Peter Falk and Alan Arkin on fire. Sorry, I was. Just I like really, Alan Arkin a lot, so I'll, I'll, I'll probably check it out. Oh, he's uh, the <laughs> was the dude. Another rest in peace. Yeah, he also left recently. Uh, Son of a bitch. But um, Williams, oh my God, it's been a rough. It's been a rough time. Uh, but yeah, we're we're gonna talk a little bit about Friedkin and do our our uh, our, our top three. We've already done a top top three of ninety eight for this episode, but we did. Might as well throw a, a little extra on there for uh, in uh, in memory of uh, William Friedkin. Hurricane Billy. That's right. <laughs> um, it's the extra touch that means so much. You know, uh, Jesse's here with us. Jesse Starcher of the Source Material Comics Podcast. Say hello, Jesse. Hello, guys. What's going on? I'm. I can't wait. I'm. I'm so glad to get to join you guys tonight. It's gonna be a lot of fun. <laughs> and uh, he, he's gonna uh, help us out with our, our top three. But um, I sent you a, a Twitter link <laughs> yesterday when when I brought this up that we were gonna be talking about Friedkin. Did you have a chance to go through any of those? No. You said that was some epic stuff. And as I got <laughs> ready to get on here tonight, I was like, oh, I forgot to do some homework. I did all the other homework, but man, th- this sounds like it's just something else. Yeah, in the in the days after Freakin passed, I believe this the uh, the Twitter user is. Oh, I had um, it here. Hold on a second. You is it John it Frankenfurter? John Frankensteiner. Frankensteiner. Okay, that's actually a wrestling move. But go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, he he was doing the Lord's work, spreading a lot of freaking clips and and uh, stories and, and magazine articles and interviews that he's done that uh, that were pretty 
uh, amazing. But um, where, where I guess uh, most people's first freaking movie was The Exorcist. Is that your, the case with you, AJ? Probably. It might not be. It might have been The French Connection. Yeah, which that, that came out. That was uh, chronologically that came out first, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think I, I just think I wasn't able to get a chance to see it uh being younger, because I'm sure I saw, I mean, the first time I saw it, I wasn't even 10, but I, I think I saw French Connection before that. But the one that definitely had an impact on me was The Exorcist. I mean, how can you not? <laughs> right, right. I, I haven't even watched that movie. I'm just stepping in here and saying that the, like, the legacy of that film and it's it's it scared me to death not even watching it like i'm too scared to even put it in and put it on in any way but i've heard so many like people say that i mean it's got to be watched but my goodness it 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 permeated pop culture for the to today oh yeah yeah i've never seen it go ahead sorry go ahead no no go ahead you hadn't seen i was gonna say i'd never seen the exorcist until they put out the uh, the version you've never seen uh, in, I think, 2000 or 2001. It was uh, 2000. Yeah, that's what I was going to tell you. It As a movie, it has lost none of its, I mean, God, just elemental power. I know that sounds, you know, hoity-toity, but it's true. It's just, <laughs> it's just a powerful experience. And when that movie was re-released in 2000, it is the best, like something like Freddy versus Jason, where the whole crowd was ready and into it and just rolling along like a wave the whole time. That's super cool. That's a great memory. But my best memory for any horror movie is seeing that re-release of The Exorcist because even 23 years ago, that was almost 20 years from the time it had been released. So this is a 20-year-old movie in theaters, and you've got, you know, it was a Friday night. I went opening night. You've got a crowd full of mostly younger people. And I was, you know, that age. I was in my 20s. But it was a lot of people who clearly didn't know or didn't respect what they were there to witness. Mm -hmm. And so in the early going, the crowd was talking a lot. There was a lot of laughter, a lot of laughter at the movie, like the clothes or Linda Blair would say some kind of slang and there'd be like tittering and shit. And it was just, I was kind of like, y'all just being disrespectful motherfuckers. <laughs> yeah. But as the movie goes on and the clamps begin to tighten, the mood begins to darken and darken and darken. That, sound you would hear throughout the theater it kind of quieted the talking was less and less the laughter definitely died out and suddenly it was very quiet and at the point when that new scene in the movie uh jesse you may have heard of the spider walk oh yeah when the spider walk happened in the movie it happens very fast even those of us who knew it was in the movie and were waiting for it to show up when it's suddenly there it's just oh it's there and the whole crowd shrieked just shrieked just this piercing collective scream in stereo and it was a beautiful wonderful thing to experience and hear and from that point on the only sound that you could hear from the crowd was the occasional scream it you could hear you could have heard a pin drop in that place the movie shut them up the movie was like oh you want to laugh you think this is fun you think this is okay let me let me show you a little bit of this and then it just it just bucked everybody up and to see that change happen over the course of those two hours and to see where the crowd was when it started in the first 10 minutes whereas the way we all left that theater i've never experienced anything like it and that's just to me the ultimate testament to that movie's ability to just scare the absolute almighty shit out of you. 
Wow, man. It sounded like it commanded an audience. Like it that did. is it, it was it was an amazing thing to be there for. I'll, I will never forget it. So yeah, that movie, you can't fuck with it. You just can't. You just can't do it. I knew somebody that watched it like once a week for a couple of years because it scared them so bad and they wanted to watch it until it didn't mean anything to them anymore. And they thought they'd be able to like, you know, I'll watch it for a couple months and then, you know, it'll it'll be nothing. They watched it for years. Literally years they did this, and I believe them. I believe that they did this. So not to like, you know, build it up too much in your head there, Jesse, or to like make your fist clench and, you know, your palms sweat and stuff. But uh, you, you really do have your work cut out for you. Yeah. It's going to yeah, be I, fun. I, thought, I think the the one thing that I watched recently was, uh, oh, what is that? Cursed Films? On yeah, Shutter yeah. is, is on Shutter yeah. or something? I think ha- had uh, The Exorcist on there, didn't it? Uh-huh. Yeah. I think so. So I think we watched that. And I mean, geez, just the true stories were pretty dang scary. But <laughs> but yeah, man, one of these days I'm going to get to it. Some of that stuff can scare me. You know, exorcist, uh-huh. uh, the exorcism of Emily Rose, mm-hmm. um, stuff like that. That was kind of that. That was kind of scary. So I was like, oh, I can handle the exorcist, but I still haven't got the balls enough to put it in <laughs> on the TV yet. <laughs> you know, sometimes uh, uh, it can be daunting. You know, with a with something that has a reputation like that, right? Uh, several years ago, I, uh, you know, late one night, I, I popped on uh, the I popped in the Exorcist DVD and I was listening to it with the uh, freaking commentary track, and I guess I like passed out, and I, I don't remember what I was dreaming about, but I do remember <laughs> waking up in terror, like one of those, like you kind of like sit up from your dream. Oh. And it was like in the midst of the exorcism scene when I when I woke up terrified. So like whatever was going on, like the and, and it wasn't even the movie; it was just the commentary track. But just like Friedkin <laughs> talking about the uh, was like invading my dreams. So Friedkin does have one more movie that he filmed before he died. Have you heard about this, AJ? Yeah, I was starting to say. Um, I I have heard that Kiefer Sutherland is in it. I have heard uh, that it's another adaptation of the Kane Mutiny, and this one's just called the Kane Mutiny Court Martial, I think, mm-hmm. like the original play. Yeah, I'm stoked. Yeah, I don't have any uh, history with the Kane Mutiny. I've heard of, I've heard that title, so I know that it's been made before and stuff. Uh, it looks like Lance Reddick was also in it, Jason Clark. So yeah, I'm definitely excited to watch it when uh, when it gets released. But yeah, yeah, Friedkin, you know, he had a huge run in the you know 70s, 80s French Connection, Live and Die in L.A., which I don't even know if that was a hit or or not. But um, uh, then he kind of cooled off mostly in the late 80s to the 90s, and then had kind of a renaissance a little bit with like Bug and Killer Joe later in his life. So let's do some some top three now before we go back to Jesse. AJ, what do you think my top three is going to be? Hmm. <laughs> See, the question is, do you go for something like The French Connection or do you go for The Exorcist? I'm just going to guess The Exorcist, the movie that woke you up terrified from freaking commentary. Um, I'm going to say that's your number one. I'm going to say your number two is French Connection. And I don't know. I, I literally, I do. I really don't know. I mean, I I don't think we've ever talked about freaking uh, in terms of like, what your I've absolute favorite? Like, I mean, I've seen all like the big freaking movies. There are some of his earlier ones, like I said, that I haven't seen. So uh, I mean, but I mean, Bug could have really hit you hard because that does that to people. So that could be mm-hmm. your number three. Killer Joe could be your number three because that movie's fucking nutball and it's awesome. <laughs> I, I don't know, dude. I don't know. I don't know. Deal of the century. How about that? I haven't seen that one. Don't. It's shit. <laughs> Who's in that? 
That's Chevy Chase, Sigourney Weaver, and Gregory Hines. They're arms dealers, and it sounds like it's fun. And no, it's it's really not. It's not. <laughs> I'm sure I've heard about it because I read his autobiography, which is uh, one of my favorite books I've ever read. And I'm sure he mentioned it in there, but I don't remember anything about that. Um, Probably talked about wanting to kill Chevy Chase. Most people do. Yeah. <laughs> right. I'm going to guess, I'm going to go a little outside of the box for you, for you, AJ. I'm going to guess, I, I think Exorcist is probably your number one. Okay. I'm going to say Killer Joe is your number two. Okay. And The Live and Die in LA is your number three. Spectacularly wrong on all counts. <laughs> you do have two of the movies. Okay. You also had two of the movies. Oh, I did? Was it the first two I picked? Were you <laughs> sure they were on there? <laughs> well, you, you actually mentioned several, so. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. All right. Well, all right. Well, the first one I guess I'm going to do here. I guess let me lay let me lay out. Did I lay this out already, how we're going to do this on, on air so people understand what in the world we're doing? Maybe, yeah, but go ahead. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, so, essentially, what I've done here is I've taken the plot of all three of the movies for each participant here. So, I got... The top three for Chris. And I got the top three for AJ. I took those the plots of those films, fed them into chat GPT, and I said, okay, do me a favor and write us a plot of a movie that crosses over all three of these films. So what we're going to do is I want to read the plot and said person has to try and guess the three movies that this plot involves. So bear with me. Because I'm going to try my best to make sure I don't say the names, even though ChatGPT is actually saying the names sometimes in some of this plot, some of these plots of the film. I'm not but, sure. I mean, I just have to say, Je- Jesse, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but you know, I'm not sure I can do this given my religion. I think it might forbid it because ChatGPT is the <laughs> devil. <laughs> I, you know, and I just thought about that coming on here. I was like, I wonder if these guys have an opinion about ChatGPT, especially with the film industry and all the stuff that's going on right now. So um, James Cameron taught me AI is not to be trusted. I, okay. I'm well, now I know where you're sense. going. Now I get it. <laughs> Completely right. understand. <laughs> but you know what? But you know what? In the spirit of the thing, it, it's it's only right that I just relax these right and you know rules that I have. Let, let's loosen it up a little bit. Let's do it, Jesse. Let's go. I so much appreciate that. All right, well, let's go. We're going to do AJ's first. All right. right so Chris, get ready. All right. And as I go down, try my best not to give it away. Here we go. All right. The title of the movie. By the way, this is the only, the other one does not give us a title. I should ask it what the other one's uh, title would be. Anyway, the title of this movie is called Crossroads of Destiny. The genre, believe it or not, the genre is thriller slash supernatural. All right. All right. Setting. The film is set in a world where these three disparate storylines converge, spanning the gritty streets of Los Angeles to the supernatural realms of demonic possession and the treacherous journey through a remote Colombian village. In a reality I, where the I think right, I've got right, the three right there, you should know what they are. <laughs> I mean, you uh, can, yeah, that should be it. It sounds like <laughs> Exorcist. I mean, I still don't know the order, but I'm going to assume Exorcist is number one. No. Sorcerer is number one. Exorcist is number two, and to live and die in LA is number three. Okay, okay. we're gonna go ahead and we'll just we'll leave that there. Now, Jesse, <laughs> read me his. Let's do his. Let's see if he's okay. right. You're saying you are starting with the exorcist. No, you started with sorcerer. Guys, and exorcist, I'm just, just and then to live know and die. Chat GPT came up with five acts for this whole movie. Oh my! All right, 
And I'll you just read even the- have a title chat GPT. You are the devil. The, this one right here, the plot for this movie was in a reality where the forces of fate are intertwined. Crossroads of destiny follows the intersecting lives of four individuals whose paths lead them to a crossroads of danger, redemption, and the supernatural. So that was AJ's. Now, so just to be sure, Chris, again, you, you said my one was sorcerer, then exorcist, then live and die in LA. Sure. Okay. <laughs> my opinion on AI is that it's a tool that can be used for good, but it's it's definitely a good thing that uh filmmaking industry is on strike trying to um, head it off at the pass <laughs> uh, instead of letting executives run rampant with it. Yeah. I will I will simply say that I agree it's a tool. And I agree that it can be used for good. But I will note that because people are involved, Mm -hmm. it's fucked up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, dude. Because people ruin everything. I mean, yes, I mean, it can be used for good. But I would guarantee that at least like 90% of the human beings on this planet who are currently involved in some kind of venture with it are not attempting to use it for good. Yeah. I don't trust them. I don't trust them. Don't trust it. That's right. Oh, there you go. Don't well, trust it could have given us a believable Indiana Jones voice for the <laughs> oh no the early section of Dial of Death. Anyway, are we going to relitigate that, Christian? <laughs> oh man! Uh, okay, have to here we edit go. this well, part into one. that episode. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Chris's All top right. three in one big plot synopsis from Chat GPT. Right. Title. This one gave me a title. I had to run it through again. Give me a title. Title. Diabolical. Convergence. All right. Nice. It starts. <laughs> Here we go. Detective like a technical death metal album or something. <laughs> right, dude. Detective Popeye Doyle and his partner Cloudy Russo, veterans of the narcotics division, are called into an international case involving a shadowy drug syndicate led by the enigmatic Elaine Charnier. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Popeye's ruthless pursuit leads him from the streets of New York to Mar- Marcel, France where he crosses paths with a worn-out Victor Manzon, seeking to escape his criminal past. Unbeknownst to them, the demon Pazuzu, once bound in Iraq, has been unleashed upon the world, manifesting its malevolent presence in the darkest corners of society. Okay, I got it. I got it. I got the order, too. Oh, okay. All right. You want me to stop? My no, no, no. Pop- keep going. I mean, you oh, okay. keep going. As Victor... Popeye and Cloudy attempt to infiltrate Charnier's organization. They find themselves entangled with Jackie Scanlon, a survivor of a deadly accident in New Jersey. Jackie's desperate desire to start anew leads him to Pavanir, Colombia, where he forms an unlikely alliance with Kasim, an ex-Palestinian militant, and Reagan, a young girl who has narrowly escaped possession (laughs) by Pazuzu. Uh, I can't wait for the AI animation to take <laughs> off to a point where we can make this film a reality. Oh, no <laughs> doubt about it, dude. As Charnier's plans to smuggle drugs takes... Am I pronouncing that correctly? Is it Charnier or is it Charnier? How do you, spe- how do you say that? Charnier Any idea? Charnier, Charnier okay. sounds right. All right. As Charnier's plans to smuggle drugs take a darker turn, the ancient demon seeks to spread its influence and chaos, leading to a series of inexplicable events that draw all characters together in an epic struggle. Karas, a tormented priest from so movie, is called upon once again, this time to confront a force beyond anything he had encountered before. Film culminates in a climactic showdown in an abandoned factory on Ward's Island, echoing the final moments of said movie. The characters 
Fates intertwine as they face not only the lethal dangers of a drug operation gone awry, but also the malevolent force that threatens to consume them all. In a heart-pounding sequence, Popeye, Jackie, Kasem, and Karas confront Charnier, his henchman, and the demon itself in a battle of physical and spiritual proportions. That sounds like Hollywood bullshit. (laughs) Popeye Doyle and Father Karas. What a... What a team up. I would watch the shit out of it, though. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. So what did you say they were again, AJ? Oh, I didn't. Um, His number one is French Connection. His two is Sorcerer. And his three is Exorcist. All right. You guys can compare answers here and go at it. I'm sitting (laughs) back. I let AI do all the hard work, and I'll let you guys do the arguing. All right, Chris. Fuck you. Let's argue. That's correct. (laughs) You got it. I just had to start it off on the right foot, you understand. What was what was your order? The exact opposite of what you said. My number <laughs> one is to live and die in L.A. Two is The Exorcist, and three is Sorcerer. I wanted to believe that if I had a honorable mention, like a top five, like that, yeah. I figured the French Connection would go in there. But the more I thought about it, and the more I looked at it, I'm like, I can't do it. Like my number four is Killer Joe, and my number five is The Hunted. I'm not saying The Hunted is better than the French connection. It's not, but I do like it more. I do. I would rather, if you put those movies in front of me, I'm probably going to pick the hunted to watch nine times out of 10. Mm -hmm. So I got to put it there, but yeah, that's my top three. And what's yours, Chris? Was I right? Yeah, you were was right. It, was uh, it the thing I said in in the correct order? Was it what I said? Is, you were right on. It was. Red Connection is is the number one. See, Sorcerer and Exorcist, those can uh, flip-flop it on any given day. Like, it just kind of depends what kind of mood I'm in, because they're both unimpeachable. The best. They're both <laughs> um, it's hard, man. His yeah, Killer Joe hard. would probably be right there behind those two as well because that that movie's great jesse have you seen any of these movies we're talking about no every single one of them though that you guys are mentioned well except for sorcerer i might have heard that like in passing but french connection clearly uh a a very popular movie the exorcist clearly a very to live and die in la i may have actually seen that one and who stars in that again that is that is uh william peterson and willem dafoe Okay. All right. Yeah. I think I, where I've seen that, but man, it was probably shortly after it came out, came out. was that in the nineties. Uh, 1985. 85. Okay. I'm way off my bad. I might be thinking of something completely different then. Uh, what am I thinking of that has Russell Crowe in it and is kind of like a crime noir type oh, deal? Oh, L.A. Confidential. Thank you. I knew it had L.A. in it. I was close. So <laughs> sorry, AJ. I've LA never seen to live. No, no, no. It's okay. For a second <laughs> there, when you said the nineties, I was terrified. You meant Jade. Uh, <laughs> no, no. Okay. I actually I, watched. Jade whenever I was on my initial William Friedkin kick probably 10 years ago. Well, <laughs> I'm glad he didn't do it after he died. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. What's your opinion on if you've seen it, I'm sure you have, the Michael Bean uh, lawyer movie? Rampage? Oh, Rampage. Movie? Yeah, I've seen Rampage. I saw Rampage because it was filmed and set in my hometown of Stockton, California. Oh, nice. It was a big deal when it happened because it was this Oscar-winning director in Stockton, and we didn't really get shit like that happen. And then the movie got shelved because Orion went out of business, Mm. and it sat on a shelf. It was shot, I want to say, like right after To Live and Die in L.A., like 87 Mm. or 88, and it didn't come out until like 90 or 91. It's good. It's good. It makes you think it's like a serial killer movie, but it's really more about what it means to put 
a crazy person to death and is it yeah. moral and it's really more about that kind of shit but it's still really good yeah i watched that one around the same time it was on netflix about 10 years ago and i caught it there and i'd never heard of it and it was kind of cool to see michael bean not playing a soldier of some type because <laughs> uh, he i've never seen him really do anything else i don't think but um uh, yeah, that was that was pretty cool. Something different, uh, for sure. L- let me ask you, car chases, live and die in L.A. or the French Connection? Live and die in L.A. I mean, I, I pretty, I guess I could have guessed that since it's uh, your number one. Yeah, I still prefer the French Connection car chase, but I do. I mean, the one in eleven to live and die in L.A. is insane as well. I've never been a fan of the bullet car chase i've only seen bullet once but i was really underwhelmed so and that was the one that's like supposedly is up there with those two is like the great car chases of all time but it it's definitely good i think as opposed to bad but i'm sure it you know it came out in what the mid 60s so the late 60s like 66 67 and i'm sure when it came out it blew minds you know, and it's still very well done. It just doesn't move the way that we, all the subsequent car chases since that took influence from it kind of warped our brains. And you know what I mean? Right. It doesn't mean it's not good. It's the same way that someone who is 15 years old and sees Fury Road goes back yeah. and watches The Road Warrior and it's just slow. Right. You know, doesn't mean it's not good. It just, it's not the same thing. We experienced it in reverse order. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Well, we've spent enough time, I guess, praising William Friedkin. He's awesome. Uh, Going to miss him. Can't wait to see his new movie with Jack Bauer. And We love you, Billy. <laughs> and much appreciate uh, Jesse bringing the uh, demon, pizza- <laughs> the, the demon Pizazu uh, slash AI into the proceedings for us. Yeah, that was I a lot of fun, guys. For laughing at, I mean, laughing in the middle of your uh, synopsis there. But when I'm hearing... You know, this thing lay out like this the story for Sorcerer, and suddenly one of the gang is Reagan McNeil. <laughs> I'm gonna have to laugh because that shit's ridiculous and awesome. And yeah, yeah, and it didn't hurt my feelings any. Just you're gonna have to watch out for the machines, buddy. They're already out to get me. I know that. <laughs> we had evidence tonight. That's what I'm saying. Telling us it is not a terror attack. It is most likely an action. Running further now. Ladies and gentlemen, place your bets. We have a bloodbath about to take place. Twenty-four hours. Competing for a ten million dollar cash prize and the unknowable title of the world's best. Joshua Hart, greatest assassin ever was. Each assassin is implanted with a tracking device, so we can find them. They can find each other. Enjoy the cooking. What's your reason? Was it you, Miles? Did you come after me? Did you murder my wife? I can't contact you anymore. Uh, I suggest you listen to me very carefully. You need to start killing if you want to stay alive. Why'd you come after me? 
Victory. The tournament has begun.